Hi friends, Logan here, one of your co-hosts with the Better Events Podcast, and I am so stoked for this week's episode. I feel like I say that every week, but that's probably a good thing that we're bringing you things that we're excited about. But this week, we are talking about things that we wish our clients knew. So if you are an event host, an event organizer, or even a planner or producer just trying to up your game, I would really suggest listening to this. We have some great tidbits of information that'll help you with your event planning process. We talk about your why. We talk a little bit about Zoom. We also talk about speakers. So if any of that sounds like it's up your alley, keep listening and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. All right, folks, we're back in your ears with another episode of the Better Events Podcast. I'm Logan, one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined here by Mary. And to kick off this week's episode, we're going to keep it a little festive. Some of you might say it's too early, but Mary, when do you set up your holiday decorations? Okay, so a lot of people are going to hate me, but I have always been, so I celebrate Christmas, so I've always been a, like, let's play Christmas music on November 1st type person. I haven't quite implemented that the past few years, but I'm I'm just like way on board with early celebrations. So that being said, I set up my holiday decor in November. I was actually trying to see if I could do it like this weekend. So yay, that would be exciting. Um, and mostly because it takes so long to put up, I want to appreciate it for a long time. And that's kind of the reasoning behind it. So I'm going to say sooner than later. And also for all those haters out there, I will say I still love Thanksgiving, but I am thankful for Christmas. So there you go. What about you, Logan? <laughs> That's so true, Mary. I'm a well, I'm a December baby. My birthday's in December. And so I think the I don't know, maybe that's why I love Christmas. I also celebrate Christmas. Um, but just the like, I don't know, everything about the festivities just always makes me so feel so like warm and snuggly. And so I'm with you. I actually have already started listening to Christmas music. I kind of ease into it. I like, I listen on Spotify. They have like a Christmas coffee house, which is not necessarily the hits that you know, but it's just some nice like background music. And it just always brightens my day. I feel like we've had 2020 was crazy. 2021, I feel like has been crazy in different ways. We've both been really busy. And so yes, to me, it feels like a form of self-care <laughs> to be like celebrating the holiday season. And um, my partner really doesn't like real Christmas trees because um, he works in landscape architecture. And so he just thinks like cutting down a tree is, is awful. Uh, and this is one of the compromises we've made. And so I actually just purchased a fake tree, which I know my family is going to be appalled to hear me <laughs> say that. Oh, no, um, no. <laughs> yeah, but I did because we had a living tree last year in like a pot and we then planted him outside at uh, my partner's family's farm and he's been struggling because he got used to the heat of our apartment. So um, I'm also going to be traveling a lot in the next two months. And I realized having like a real tree, regardless if it was living or cut, it wouldn't make it. So we have a fake tree coming that's supposed to look quite realistic. And I'm very excited to decorate it and put it up probably way too early compared to some other folks. Woohoo! I'm excited too. We'll have to post pictures or something like that, but. Oh, we'll definitely share on our stories on Instagram. Yeah, Absolutely. 
Awesome. Well, before we jump into our topic for today, we want to just take a moment to thank those of you who've left us a review. So thank you so much for that. And we wanted to share one with you from one of our listeners on Apple Podcasts. And they said, great for event professionals, very engaging and relatable. Enjoy the content and hearing all their stories. So just thank you so much to that listener. We appreciate your support so much. And if you want to help us grow this community, then We invite you to take three minutes to leave us a review and you can do that on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you so much. We love reviews. That's like speaking of the holidays, if you want to send us a gift, that is (laughs) reviews and sharing um, and helping us just kind of grow our community is a great way to do that. Well, this week's topic, I'm very excited about Mary because I feel like this is kind of a I don't know if it's like a love letter, but I feel like this is something that's going to like speak to both our event vendors as well as event hosts and organizers who are listening. And while I found that like every client's not the right fit for every vendor, and we can probably do a whole nother episode about client fit because that's something I've had to learn over the years. I had have this kind of wish list that I have in my head, and I know you have, of things that I wish that my client knew ahead of time of working with me or at least had on their radar. And so- This is kind of like some things that if you are someone who's hosting or organizing an event, if you're not thinking about these things, please do. (laughs) Your planners and producers will thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's always, you know, so many things that we can do to improve when we're event planning or just any part of the process, whoever you are. And so definitely not meant to be overwhelming today, but it just, these are things that we as event professionals try to, to try to do to set our clients up for success. And maybe these are things that you can think about as well. And so if you don't mind, Logan, I'll just kick it off with one idea. And one of those ideas uh, is that the main question that I think folks have a hard time answering, and we've mentioned this before in the podcast, and that is how they measure success for their event. So asking that question, you know, upfront is great so that you can actually bring those results. And something I've noticed is, unfortunately, a lot of those measures of success aren't metric driven, and they're not very tangible. And I think there's room for both. But I do feel like it's kind of unfortunate that it's a missed opportunity to really figure out if your event was successful and metrics are important to make that happen. They just are. So that's one thing that I was thinking. Well, and I think too, to your point of like, picking one, (laughs) I feel like I come across a lot of clients who are like, well, we want to succeed in all of these different areas. And you can definitely have kind of sub KPI, sub measures of success. But I know from a vendor perspective, as a planner and a producer, when we have a very clear, this is what we're measuring success against, whether it's here's how much money was raised, here's how many people came to our event, here's you know, how many speakers we got, whatever that looks like. Um, It just makes everybody happier in the end. So again, it's like a gift to future you. And I feel like we've mentioned it to clients and sometimes some are resistant to pick one. It's like picking your favorite child. Yeah. And it shouldn't be that difficult to select either, especially if you do the first step, which is something we talk about all the time. And that's your purpose for the event, your why, your North Star. So if you figure that out, picking a way to measure that success for that why is not terribly difficult to do in my opinion. And so there's ways that you can get started and it's an important step for sure. My first thing that I wish that clients would know is something that sometimes it happens when, and Mary and I both been in these places where we get brought in after some of the larger planning things have been decided and we're getting brought in as a part of the execution team. And so one thing to Mary's point, talking about knowing your why, knowing what your measurements of success are, 
you also need to know your audience and use your why and your audience to drive your content or to drive your programming. Because often I've been a part of some events where it can clearly feel like a disconnect. And that's something that might not become apparent to the event host or organizer until it's almost too late. You've already started promoting the event. You're almost there and you realize you're getting really low attendance. We have certain sessions that don't get as many people as you would like. And you realize that they didn't actually fit with your why and your audience. And so if you start from your why and your audience and use that as the lens when you're planning things, it's really going to set you up for success. And I found that I often try to tell clients this and talk them through that process. But sometimes by the time I'm brought in, it's almost too late. And so I would just make sure that these are some of the crucial questions you are asking yourself as an event host very early on as you start planning your event. Yeah. And this is making me think too. So we're talking about like the beginning of an event and it just, I can't help but thinking about the end of an event. I know we're skipping like the meat of it, but when you think about the end, the post event work and analytics and things that you can pull depending, depending on a lot of things, depending on what you're using, how you conducted your event. Um, those can just drive home the success that you determined at the beginning of your planning process, the analytics and everything at the end, whether, you know, we just talked about, it's not all metric driven. So some of it could be in the debrief that you have post event, but I just couldn't help but say, yes, we're talking about the beginning of the event post event though. is like, it, it all comes together in my mind when you're talking about that way to measure success. Um, and with post event work, we've talked about this before. It just seems like it gets kind of left on the back burner a lot of the times. And I don't know for you, Logan, for me, sometimes like my level of service kind of varies in how I offer post-event work. I think Logan, you do a really, really nice debrief for clients so that they can reference that in years to come. And that's also, I think, going to help them out. But going back to our topic today, I think it would be helpful if clients not only thought about the beginning, but they think about the end of the event, because by the time it's over, people just want to get it over with. But that wrap is super important as well. Yeah. Thanks, Barry. A little shout out there. I love my good old post-event feedback report. I think I have it as a download on my website. If you go there to loganstrategygroup.com, it is uh, something that is really helpful to future you, especially if you have anything that's annual, you know, a repeatable event. Um, Writing down what happened and what you change is just like a gift to future you because I promise you, you're going to think you'll remember things, but you won't. So you got to do it while it's, while it's fresh. So before we share a couple more tips with you, let's take a quick break. We want to encourage you, our listeners, to also start a podcast if you'd like. We do our podcast through Anchor, and it has been amazing. It really streamlines the process as far as pushing out episodes. It pushes them to the major podcast platforms. It's how you're listening to this right now. And so it's also a great landing place for a general web page for our podcast. So if somebody wants more information, we can send it to them. So if you're interested in recording your own podcast, we encourage you to use Anchor. So make sure you download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. FM. That's anchor.fm to get started. And we're back. Mary, what's another tip that you or thing that you wish that clients knew? I think in business and possibly even events, there's like that motto of build it and they will come. But I think it's more like market it and they will come. And I don't know if that's a tagline, but that should be somebody's tagline if it's not already. Just shouting that out. Totally could be. Yeah. And so like with that, it just and it just seems like event marketing is another thing that falls through the cracks. So I just would want to get it on their radar earlier than later that I can't really think of a scenario 
unless it's like some internal s- small type of an event where marketing isn't necessarily going to be necessary. And so I would say market the heck out of that event. It's so important. Um, I could talk about this forever. So I'll pass it to you, Logan. I'm sure there's stuff you can add. Well, we mind linked on this one because this one was on my list too. And talking about how you need a robust marketing plan and having someone who's actually in charge of executing it. Some of these events that I've worked recently, they've had a volunteer or somebody who's there who can like help them. But again, without accountability, it makes it really hard to hold that person accountable when you're not actually seeing the numbers you need. So this piece of advice of why marketing is so important, like Mary mentioned, if you have a public facing event, marketing has to be a part of your strategy from day one. Like you need to start plugging it, pushing it out there, sending speakers information about how they should share about your event. Now, if you're doing an internal or a corporate event or a client of, you know, client facing event, maybe the marketing's not as important. You just need to do some general awareness so people know. But if it's anything public facing, I have just seen time and time again when the marketing's kind of an afterthought or a last final couple of weeks before the event thought, it hasn't led to the results that you would want. And again, this is something like Mary and I can do some marketing, but in terms of our major tools in our toolkit. I would say it's not necessarily one of them nor something that I know I personally don't necessarily love doing, but I'll do to help clients if they need it last minute. But that's not the same as having someone who's actually assigned to just owning your marketing piece for your event. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it it is like time and time again, something that I feel like we get kind of thrown into. And because it almost happens like every time to some level, like kind of put it in my services. Like I don't, but I try to make it clear too. Like I am not a a marketing professional. I just have, you know, by happenstance in these situations had to help market events, but it's so robust. And by the time someone comes to me and they're like, oh, but like we need like a social media plan for the event. I'm like, that's a very like robust thing that you should be thinking about before. So I'll do what I can for you. Um, and in reality, they need somebody who who really is a professional event marketer to some degree. Um, but with that being said, these things, you know, they can be determined. And over time, we've learned this. They can be determined at the beginning, you know, when we're creating the proposals, having that discovery call. It's not like we're going to be like, oh, too bad. And then when the moment comes, we're like, I don't know. You know, we're going to try to set clients up for success. We just wish that that's something that was on their radar more than usual. Yeah, we've worn that hat a couple times on some events that we've worked together as well. Because again, we're all about like, it's a team effort. You want your client to succeed. You want there to be a lot of people at their event if one of their measures of success is having a lot of people at their event. But again, you know, in addition to that, that's energy then that's getting taken away from doing some of the other stuff that we do really well when it comes to event planning and logistics. So that's just one. I'm going to niche down with my next one, Mary, where we're going to specifically talk about Zoom events. And I guess I could broaden it out, not just Zoom, but any tech platform that you're using let your producer have your login information. Now, there might be some reason your company's super secure or your organization, and maybe you can't do that. And that's fine. And Mary and I both executed events that way. But why do I say that is because if you give us the logins, especially like with Zoom, there's certain controls and settings that we need to check and double check or make sure they're turned on or turned off that you can only get to if you actually have the login information. And there's a lot you can do without it, But just by having it, it cuts down on so many back and forth emails. It, again, taps into a skill set that we are good at and have. So think about it next time you're hosting an event on Zoom and you have somebody else helping you. If you're able to actually give them the logins and give them full ownership of your Zoom account for that event, you're just going to cut down on the headache and the things that you need to have on your plate. Yeah. And this happened to me recently, and it happens often, like Logan said. But I think those that are super familiar with Zoom – 
um, this might be easier for you, but for those that just use Zoom occasionally for like team meetings and things like this, or if you just haven't, you know, had the opportunity to really dive into those like backend settings, this is a really, really important step that might not seem as important, but it, it truly is. And a lot of it happens to like, let's say, you know, you do the best you can to make your backend settings what they should be, but then you start the event in Zoom. And there are certain things you can only change from the back end. And those are really important typically. And so that usually ends up being a scenario where it's like, I cannot do this for you because you haven't shared this with me and it needs to be done like immediately. And they're important things like, um, I believe one of them, Logan, is if you can't, you can't like edit polls inside Zoom that has to be edited in the back end. Just yep. things like that have come up. Yeah. And um, one scenario in particular, the the meeting was supposed to be, well, it was supposed to be a Zoom webinar and it actually got started as a meeting and like it didn't get scheduled as a webinar. And so they yeah. just started it as a meeting. And I was like, well, we're just going to work with this then. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of attendees here and it, just little things like that. That would have been completely preventable if they just would have allowed me to take a look at the back end. So there you have it. Agreed. How about you, Mary? What's another thing you wish clients knew? I kind of wish that, and I think they know this to a level, is the the new rules for events in the sense of uh, how events are changing over time. And I'm actually not really speaking of like the hybrid event aspect right now. I'm kind of thinking of things like, I think we're at a place where event organizers know when you're creating a menu with a caterer that there should be like gluten-free and vegan options that's like a thing now right so I think we're all kind of on the same page there but I think there's other things like that that it would be great if they if they knew kind of at the beginning um I think a, a newer and really important thing that has a heavier focus now is like the accessibility of their event I think this is where like virtual comes into play a little bit more for example like, do they know in Zoom that you can enable closed captioning and what they what the um, abilities are for that and the options or like live transcription or using Zoom's language interpretation? I just had a recent experience with that, which was very interesting. But I also was like, this is like the coolest thing I've ever seen that this could be an option. And I know I'm, I'm leaning heavily on the virtual side right now. And that's just because that's what the world has been lately. But I think things like that are exciting and I think they're really important shifts. So I hope that they could be on clients radar as well. Yeah, no, that's a really valuable one. I feel like more people need to make that again a priority or at least a part of their their plan versus a last minute ask or afterthought. For sure. Yeah. What about you, Logan? Hit us with another one. So this one's also we're sticking with the Zoom theme for for now. I promise my last one that's only Zoom related. But just again saying that Zoom fatigue is real. And so as a client don't just default to having your attendees on screen in a Zoom meeting because that's maybe what you do for your organization's normal meetings. Use an event as an ex- as an excuse to do something different. Um, with Zoom fatigue, that means we're all tired of being on screen. It's a different thing. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can see we're currently capturing video. And this is a different energy suck than just passively watching a, a one-way stream like a YouTube or on Vimeo or on a virtual event platform. And so just making sure that you're thinking through, again, tagging back to our earlier issues of like talking about your why, knowing your audience. An example where you wouldn't need that is let's say it's a conference, it's a keynote speaker. They're just speaking at the audience. You probably don't need that to be in Zoom and have everybody on screen. You could do that as a one-way stream. The inverse, if you're doing, I went to a fundraiser that was 
a uh, virtual cooking class where we got to cook with a chef and make a pizza. And they did that in Zoom meeting because it was really fun for us to all see each other in our kitchens trying to make this pizza. The chef was asking us to hold things up. Like there's a reason and an intentionality behind having us on Zoom. And it was really fun and not fatiguing. But I think you need to think through as a client, what's the why behind having attendees on screen? You know, that's an that's an important distinction, I think, that I don't know if I have fully thought through before either until this moment. When I've thought of Zoom fatigue in the past, it I very much think of it as like you're on video, which could be it could be in Zoom, it could be on Google Meet, it could be in Microsoft Teams. It's just the fact that I have to be on video. And when I hear people say Zoom fatigue, I'm like, just because Zoom is like widely used, that's just a phrase. Um, but I don't know. Maybe everyone else is like, no, duh, Mary, this is something that we thought about before. But you're right, because it's all about engagement, um, because I think the fatigue comes from being on screen, but it could be in Zoom and you're having a great time. So it's not necessarily Zoom fatigue just because you're in the platform Zoom. I don't know if yeah, this is no, making any sense, but this is yeah, how no, my brain's does. thinking right it now. It does. And yeah. there's, again, you know, you and I have had these conversations of when you're saying if it's a Zoom meeting versus a Zoom webinar. And again, why I put this on the list for clients or event hosts, organizers to think about ahead of time, because sometimes when Mary and I are, and other planners and producers are getting in, brought in, like that decision has been made. The link has been created. It's been sent out to attendees. So we can't help you really change it. I mean, we could if you made that decision, but again, it's something that you want to think on, think about early on and don't just write off Zoom as, hey, Zoom fatigue's real. I'm not doing Zoom. That's not what I'm saying. But just thinking through that intentionality. And there's a lot of other video conferencing that also is still, you know, it sucks that energy out of you. Yeah, What's your totally. next one, Mary? Well, I love one um, that you kind of started mentioning earlier, which is about speakers. So there have been so many scenarios when we've had to get a hold of a speaker, like last minute, for whatever reason, they're running late or just who knows, we haven't heard from them. There's some reason. when. So it's a really good backup plan to be able to have speaker contact information. And so um, emails are great, but phone numbers are better. And it's for those emergency situations where we could just take care of it rather than going through the client who like has their information. And so that's something else that's great for clients to know up front is the expectation of having access to the information because in the end, it's going to help their event turn out hopefully, hopefully better, at least for contingency plans. Yeah. And I had this a couple recent events right now where I've had some speakers that have been really hard to get a hold of. And maybe some of them it's because they're VIP or they work in politics or they're just in a very like public facing role. And so then I have to often try to hunt down, you know, their team or their staff or their assistant, whoever it is. And but like that's still just as important if you are the event host and you can't get your VIP guests information, speakers information, but you get their, um, you know, assistant, someone who has a direct line, then knowing it is going to be kind of this whisper down a lane effect if we're missing the speaker, we need to find them. But Mary, you, I mean, nail on the head, this one I would probably ratchet up as like one of my most important things from this take this episode for event hosts to take away because especially if you're doing it virtual or you have a hybrid speaker in person, we can kind of like run around physically and try to like find the person and look in these different rooms and, you know, call up to their hotel room if you're in a hotel or, you know, there's a different way to get a hold of them versus like virtually. I think some people think, oh, if you have my email, you're going to be able to find me. And that's not always the case. And if anything, we have even less, not, you know, transparency into wondering where that speaker is or what's happening. And so having a direct line is crucial and going to save you as the organizer so much, like save you stress by meaning like less stress on event day. And it will cause, create less stress as well for your event producer and planner. Here, here. Absolutely. <laughs> Important one for sure. 
Um, another one that I was thinking is the, it would be great for clients to understand the importance of having partners for events, partners being, you know, sponsors, ambassadors, maybe talent in certain cases, just people who are really going to help your event be more successful because they're spreading the word about it, or they're maybe monetarily contributing in some way. So those key partners for the event, um, I think they fall on the wayside as well a lot of the time, but they really can impact the success of your event, um, both like because of revenue and then also just because of like spreading the word, like I was saying before about your event. Um, So it's super important. And another thing is that it's a big, to make it happen, it's a huge relationship building thing. Like the hope is that you have a relationship with some partner that you could reach out to about your event. And that's something that's hard for us as event professionals to go in and do from an outside perspective. It's really an internal relationship building thing. If that's something that we were going to take on, then it would end up being like a much longer contract or something like that because it's a whole different ball game. And so that's just something else that I think is important uh, to remember. And once again, that happens near the beginning of the planning process, but the importance of partners. Yeah, those are, those are so important, especially if you have like an annual event, it's always great to get some good partners on board. Cause then, especially if you're like a mission driven organization, if you already have partners and vendors who have bought into your mission and it's just buying into what's the event that you're doing around that mission, you know, you've cut down on some of the work for future you if you maintain those relationships versus having to rebuild them every single year with somebody mm-hmm. new. So I think that's a great one, Mary. My next one would be for clients. I wish that they wouldn't be afraid to ask questions. I'd like to think that everyone who works with me knows this about me, that I'm very open book and transparent and I love questions. I think there are no dumb questions. If anything, it just helps you all get on the same page. But And that's something I always challenge myself is making sure I don't assume things uh, because if I make assumptions, sometimes those assumptions are wrong. So if you work with me, you'll often find that I ask lots of questions or lots of clarifying questions. And I think this is really important for clients to know that they can also ask questions of planners. And if you are a planner or a producer, you should also feel very like comfortable asking questions because some of my, I would say like personal biggest errors that I've ever made in events or in um, working with a client, it's often been because I didn't ask a question or I didn't ask the right question. And if you don't know what the right question is, I mean, the best one is always like, is there is there some another question I should have asked? Or is there anything else I should be asking you and see if they come up with something? Um, but I've just found it's like really helpful to ask those questions. And sometimes if you feel like you're not having a lot of that disconnect with clients, setting up a meeting where you're actually going to sit down and like, for me, it's like walk through my run of show if I'm doing a virtual event and actually talk my client through exactly what they see on screen. Here's what's happening and confirming step by step. Okay, yes, this is what you were expecting to. Great. Because we are living in this event world and sometimes your clients are only doing this one event twice a year or something like that. And so they're not as comfortable with maybe, or I'd say they're not as familiar with some of the terms. So it's always helpful to have those clarifying meetings and ask lots of questions. And I think vice versa, don't be afraid as the client to ask questions of your vendors. Yeah, that's a great one. Love it. I think there's one more that we had that we wanted to talk about today about communications on the event day. So Logan, I'm just going to pass it over to you because this one was your brilliant idea and I love it. This is one I I think is really important, but uh, if you're a vendor or I mean, if you're an event host, don't email your planner on the event day. I also would just probably not email any vendors on the actual event day. I would stick to whatever your pre-approved communication plan was, whether that was phone numbers 
texting. If you're on site, you can do like handy dandy radios, walkie talkies. But this is something that I, it's on my list of things I talk to my clients ahead of event day and say, hey, you and I have been emailing a lot, but on the event day, I will not be checking my inbox. If we're doing virtual event, I already have too many other screens happening. And I usually set up a, a text chain with them or we're on a call together. So making sure though that you first make that plan, but then clients, please stick to that plan. I've had a couple who still would send emails and luckily I still kind of check it every so often, but if something big is happening, email is not the way to go. It's not going to be your fastest way of communicating with folks and getting a hold of them. And it's just going to lead to frustration. So if you're the client, I would encourage you, if your planner's not talking to you about how to reach them on event day, bring this up. That's one of the questions to ask, but then make sure you actually follow that and respect that because it's just better for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of things, hopefully not overwhelming to anyone who's listening. And something I just want to point out in our recap for this is that, you know, the title of this episode is things that we wish our clients knew. And in the reality, these things would be wonderful if they have this understanding up front and over time as they work with us. Hopefully these are things that we can kind of teach them. Um, It's a really nice opportunity to, to have that. But at the same time, this is why event professionals are needed, right? This is what we part of what we bring to the table. And so, of course, we wish our clients knew these things, but thank goodness we're there in case they don't. So super go event over pros. Here. Super event pros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So important stuff. Don't let it overwhelm you, uh, whoever you are. And we really love our clients, love working with you, regardless of your knowledge of events before we start working with you. So it's always a good time. I was going to say, if you're working with us, these are all things you'll know that we already know <laughs> so that we will bring them up if you aren't already knowledgeable about them. But again, you're, we're setting you up to be like a great client for anyone that you work with if you come in knowing some of this information ahead of time. But I think, Mary, that brings us to our bonus tip, which I will be bringing us our bonus tip this week. Very excited about this one. So this is for any folks out there. If you are asking a speaker to pre-record something or anyone to submit a video to you for your event, My advice is to put your deadline to receive those videos one week earlier than you actually need to receive them. And so what I mean is that actually need to receive them date is like if you're doing edits or if you need to upload them somewhere or if someone on your team has to like review them and approve them, set that deadline internally. Don't tell your speakers or the people you're asking. And then add one week to that. Make it one week earlier because if by setting that deadline one week earlier, I feel like when we were kids in school, often the, there's there's some quote out there about it that you will use all the time that you're given. And so if you set it one week earlier, you know you'll have everybody probably giving it to you that date that you've asked them to on the last day possible, even if you give them three months, two months, or a week. They're going to give it to you when you set that deadline. And then inevitably life happens. And so there's going to be a handful of folks that do that miss that deadline. And by giving yourself that like kind of internal extra week, You're setting yourself up to either chase those folks to get them or if people drop off, you can find a new speaker or a new person to submit a video. Just gives you more time on your side to be flexible, however that looks for you for your event. I just did this with a client and it, again, it saved everything. It was, it was great. And again, we had out of, we needed 15 speakers and out of the 15, I think I had 11 hit the deadline. And then I spent that last week kind of chasing the final four. Um, And so from my time perspective, it was just it was so much less stressful than other ways that I've done it before. Love it. Great bonus tip. Thank you, Logan. 
And of course, thank you so much again for listening to this episode of the Better Events Podcast. If you'd like to follow us, you can find us on Instagram at Better Events Pod, or please send us an email at bettereventspod at gmail.com. We say this every episode, but we want to talk about what you want us to talk about. So please send us some suggestions. We're happy to do that. And thank you so much again for listening. And we'll be back with you again next Wednesday. Thank you.